Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of The Crude Report. My name is Jim Washer, I'm Editor-in-Chief here at Argus and with me today once again is Nada Itayima, our Editorial Manager in Dubai. And we're going to be talking today about last week's fascinating OPEC Plus meeting, which took place of course against the backdrop of both planned strategic stock release by the US and other consumers and growing global fears over the impact of the new Omicron COVID-19 variant. So we're going to be looking at the decision OPEC took on output policy for January, the rationale behind that decision, whether it was the right move given market conditions, and also where politics, both internal and external, fitted into the whole debate. So Nada, to kick off, remind us first, what exactly did OPEC decide last week? Thank you, Jim. Right. So there were two main things here. Uh, first, there was a decision. So what OPEC and its partners ultimately agreed to do uh, late last week, it was to essentially stay the course and sanction yet another 400,000 barrel per day increase in you know, the group's collective production quota for January. That's now the fourth time that the group has met and confirmed that course of action since you know, agreeing on that wider roadmap back in July to gradually return all the production it took off the market last year in response to COVID and you know, the collapse in oil demand that it caused. Just as a reminder, under that roadmap, OPEC and its partners did bring back 400,000 barrels per day to the market every month from August until April next year, and 432,000 barrels per day from uh, May 2022 onwards, essentially until all of that oil is back uh, onto the market. The ministers now essentially meet on a monthly basis to confirm whether or not any changes need to be made. Now. Unlike, though, the, the three previous times that they decided on this um, course of action, this time there was a difference. There's a, sort of a new line in the communique. There was something we hadn't really seen before. And that was, quote, the meeting shall remain in session pending further developments of the pandemic and continue to monitor the market closely and make immediate adjustments if required, end quote. So this is essentially the second element to the decision. And frankly, I think it's the most interesting one. What does it mean? In essence, the 2nd December, the, the meeting, it, it never actually formally ended. There was no presser. It's as if they simply sort of took a break and to leave themselves you know, open to reconvene immediately at any point over the coming weeks to you know, make any change to policy if required. We were told by two delegate sources on the day that this was an addition that was you know, put forward by Oman, one of the sort of bigger non-OPEC uh, players in the group to act as a kind of safety net or a buffer in case things go south. Okay, so sticking with the monthly increases, but as you say, with this fascinating sort of change on previous practice and the meeting kind of left open, what's the rationale for them to do this? So one of the more you know unique elements of this particular meeting was the sheer uncertainty that existed going into it. Typically, with just days to go to these meetings, you begin to get a sense of what the group is leaning towards. Maybe not the decision itself, but something close to it. But this time, with the meeting coming, as you said, just one week after not just the announcement by the U.S. of this coordinated planned SPR release alongside these other key consumer countries, but also the emergence of this new Omicron variant, things were very much up in the air going into these meetings. Uh, I remember telling colleagues and contacts going in the days running up to the, the, the meetings that for the very, very first time in a very long time, I genuinely didn't know which way the meetings would swing, I mean, what's going to happen. And I think that uncertainty is was reflected strongly in what they ultimately did and how they went about it. And staying the course, 
Saudi Arabia, Russia, and the rest of the OPEC plus group, they're essentially betting that this new Omicron variant is not really as bad as people are saying, that the impact on demand will essentially be muted. So Saudi Arabia's energy minister, Prince Abdulaziz, he hinted at this, I mean, in some comments ahead of the meeting, I mean, he said he said that he wasn't really concerned about the impact of Omicron. But also in leaving the door open for the discussion, this whole thing about the meeting remaining in session, the point here was to introduce some kind of flexibility into the system to deal with these uncertainties. You know, when it comes to the SPR release, the uncertainties over the timing of the release, let's say, and with Omicron, the uncertainties over the impact that it'll have. OPEC Plus, they ultimately, it ultimately felt it didn't really have enough information to confidently take a decision one way or another on whether a change in course was really required at this point in time. I remember saying it on the day, OPEC before and OPEC Plus now, it doesn't really work on hunches. So they held off for now, stayed the course, but left the door open for any further changes if required. Okay, so they tried to be careful. They tried to be flexible. We've seen how the markets responded. Did they get this decision right? Right. So I think the first thing I need to say here is this isn't really the first time that they've done this. They've acted this way in the sense, you know, to to kind of hold tight and refrain from taking any decisions until they have a full picture of what's happening. There have been some in the past who have called OPEC plus, you know, reactionary and slow. But to be perfectly honest, I mean, given their track record over the past year or so, you'd have to say what they've done, it's been right on the money. They've done a pretty remarkable job of of managing the market and sort of navigating this whole period, despite the huge supply and demand side uncertainties over this entire 18 months. And if you look at the price reaction again, I mean, it seems to have done the trick despite putting forward a decision to, to, you know, raise output quotas again. Prices actually rose in response. I mean, not by too much, admittedly, but still the market had saw, okay, I mean, this is a 400,000 barrels per day um, increase that was agreed for January, but with the way it was done, that may not essentially be the end of the story. So, I mean, the thinking here was to steady the ship, continue as is until we know the full impact of what it is exactly that we're dealing with. And once things become clearer on that front, they can then, you know, take advantage of this kind of fast response structure or mechanism that they put in place to react if needed. In effect, I mean, OPEC Plus sort of keeps the market guessing a little bit longer. So the, the IMF's managing director, I saw that she said over the weekend that, you know, she expected Omicron to downgrade their own growth projections uh, instead of dent the recovery. But at this point, that's fine. It's all well and good, but we're, we're just not really sure by how much. Realistically, even if it's ultimately not deemed to be as big a threat, say, as the Delta variant before it, this current window of kind of renewed flight restrictions that we're seeing, the border closures in some places, this is absolutely going to hit what was a steady, albeit, you know, slow recovery in uh, jet fuel demand. And I also wanted to sort of touch on the, the safety measure that they introduced here. Some say that, you know, it's just semantics and, and fancy wording. In a way, I'm inclined to agree because it doesn't really give the group any more tools than it already had. I mean, the whole beauty of this OPEC plus framework, particularly in this age of, you know, virtual meetings, is that it can always convene in, in record quick time and, and take decisions on policy changes if and when required. No delays. Does this additional point about leaving the, the meeting in session change that? No, it doesn't. But even if it's just semantics, you have to admit it was an intelligent move that even the market took notice of. The price reaction, again, it shows that. All in all, I think I'd have to say yes. 
Well, as we've said, there's been a lot of politics in the air around OPEC output policy in recent months, pressure in particular from Washington. Now this 50 million barrel US stock release happening early in 2022. What role do you think politics played in OPEC's decision making last week? When it comes to OPEC, I think it's fair to say that, you know, politics, geopolitics, they always have some part to play. Now, when you look at the current OPEC plus strategy, it's been increasingly focused on the longer term gains, especially in recent months. Regarding the U.S. and its recent lobbying, some see the latest decision by OPEC plus last week as a kind of an olive branch to ease the tensions with the U.S. that had been, you know, they'd begun to bubble, bubble under as, as crude prices continued their you know, continued their ascent to, what is it, three-year highs in October. The U.S. essentially wanted more from OPEC+. Plus. OPEC+, Plus insisted that it would do what it thinks is best. And the U.S. ultimately responded with the announcement of the SPR release. The White House last week, I mean, it, it essentially welcomed the results of the OPEC+, Plus meeting. It said that should help facilitate the global economic recovery alongside the coordinated stock release that's uh, soon to come. But staying the course, it also ensures that OPEC Plus doesn't really hand over market share to destocking. The U.S. and the White House, they've said on numerous occasions that it's not really going to reconsider its plans to draw this 50 million barrels of crude from its SPR. But the U.S. Energy Department, it has admitted in, in I think, in the last week that it could adjust the timing of the drawdown depending on price movements. By not changing course, there's also the added bonus of, of not really being seen to bend to U.S. pressure. At the same time, just moving beyond the U.S. for a second, it also kind of appeases the um, OPEC plus member countries that have spare capacity. Those countries that have previously really been pushing to increase production, the UAE, Russia, these are countries in particular have been doing that, although Russia doesn't really have that much spare capacity. A quick decision to extend the deadline for its compensation scheme by six months till the end of June next year. That not only really secures the theoretical market share of this group, but it also keeps the group unified. For anyone unfamiliar, I mean, this compensation scheme, it, it's one that was thought up by Saudi Arabia last year, which essentially asked countries to make up now for cuts it failed to deliver on you know, earlier in the lifetime of this deal. But you have to say, you know, pressure to deliver such compensatory cuts, that's, that's really eased in recent months as, as some of these group members struggled to meet their higher quotas because of stalled or declining capacity. In the first three months of, the, of this latest agreement, for example, uh, that's August, September, and October, uh, based on our own numbers at Argus, OPEC plus at least those countries that are actively participating in this deal, they only really brought on just over half of the 1.2 million barrels per day that it was supposed to. Okay, so one final question away from matters of output policy. OPEC also has to choose a new Secretary General next year, and there was some discussion of that last week as well. How is that debate shaping up? That's right. Yes. So while the OPEC plus meeting on the 2nd of December was focused on you know, the market and production policy, the OPEC meeting on the 1st, that was more geared to administrative issues, things like long term strategy, budgets, etc. But the one item on the agenda that stood out that day was this item, this race to succeed Barkindo as the group secretary general once his, his second and final three year term, it, it ends next summer. I mean, his tenure began in June 2016. So, so his tenure ends roughly around that time uh, in June 2022. Going into the meeting, there was only really one contender for the post, Haytham al Reis, that's Kuwait's former OPEC governor who acted as the very first chairman of the OPEC Plus uh, Joint Technical Committee or JTC. 
which you know studies market conditions ahead of the OPEC plus ministerial meetings. Delegates in that meeting, they told us that, you know, Al Reis received stronger support from Saudi Arabia, which, which as we all know, is, is incredibly important, but also several other delegations. There was actually an intent to push forward and take take a vote there and then on this, on, on the issue. But Iraq stood in the way of that uh, on the day, and they, it asked for, you know, further time for other candidates to step forward. Several delegates suggested at the time that Iraq had indicated it wants to put forward its own candidate, but it never actually named the nominee. Uh, so it was decided then that OPEC will hold an extraordinary meeting next month in January, immediately before the broader OPEC Plus monthly meeting that's scheduled for 4th of uh, January, to address that issue in particular and essentially to take a vote. The OPEC statute, the latest one, it actually says that the election of a secretary general, it requires unanimous support. But two delegates we spoke to after last week's meetings, they, they told us that the members have all agreed to scrap that in favor of a majority vote. There hasn't really been any additional movement on the issue or any new candidates going forward since the meeting last week. But we heard in recent days that we could see at least a few candidates emerging, uh, not just from Iraq, but also possibly even Libya, uh, Venezuela, or Iran. So it's it's definitely one to watch over the coming weeks. Okay, plenty for us and for OPEC to think about, I think, there as the year draws to a close. Thanks, Nada, and thanks for your time uh, today, as ever. If you want to keep up to date with our in-depth OPEC news and analysis, then why not subscribe to Argus Global Markets or Petroleum Argus or both? You can find more information on these services at www.argusmedia.com. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of The Crude Report. 